This week in the Young Adult Podcast, Brother Bobby Kilman continues the series Grow with a lesson titled How to Get the Most from Bible Reading. We apologize for the audio quality. It will be back to normal next week. <laughs> this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to do maybe 30 minutes, and then uh, if we have time, maybe a little Q&A at the end, if it's okay. Okay, so uh, what I want to do is save a little time, because uh, my job tonight is to kind of talk a little bit how to, about how to get the most out of Bible reading. And so I want to be very pragmatic. I'm going to... Uh, throw some things at you, and then at the same time, I want you to be able to ask some questions, maybe get a little more particular. Uh, how many will acknowledge that uh, it's just tough, right? You want them to, uh, but it's just tough. How do you get the most out of Bible reading? How many know you need to read the Bible? Now, I'll, I'll tell you, it's kind of like, uh, you know, quality time with a significant other. I'm just wearing it out. Um, uh, Brother Zach, if he wanted to spend time with some random person, uh, he needs to have quality present time, right? It's not enough to just show up and kind of be on the cell phone, you know, checked out into the virtual world. How many of you have ever been alone together with friends? It's just annoying, man. It's like, hey, I'm right here. Hello. And so sometimes with our Bible reading or even with prayer, I don't know who's going to teach on prayer if we're doing that in the series or not, uh, but, you know, quality present time is difficult. Uh, so for me, it helps me to kind of try to uh, learn tools that keeps my Bible reading fresh or keep my engagement with prayer fresh. So I want to try to maybe help a little bit of that tonight. So if you go to the, the Bible with me, to Second Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> we're going to read one verse, uh, verse 15. Love this verse. Paul's writing his son in the gospel, Timothy. He says, study... To show your, uh, thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right, that's Bible study. Okay, so we know uh, Timothy's in the business of preaching, uh, but he's kind of laying it out. He said, "You need to study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing." That means keep the keep the uh, the word of God, the word of God, okay? And so we're going to talk about some of the hurdles on how to do that. I remember uh, being a, a young teenager, the Lord called me to preach, and the uh, church I grew up in, man, if you were called to preach, okay, get on up there. And so, um, you know, it was good for me. It, it kind of gave me opportunity to stretch my wings a little bit. But I remember as a young person thinking, man, the importance of reading the word of God, i got to go read the word of God, you know, and get this... You got these preachers preaching about it, and I just want to know the Word of God. And you go, and and did anybody find this experience? Like, you read it, and you're like, I don't know what I just read. (laughs) I know, I know. So, uh, you know, there's some people, maybe uh, some of you have never had that experience, but I'm telling you, I was just, I'm so let down, because I thought, I know there are people talking about, like, reading the Bible, and they get this, ooh, I didn't see that before, and I'm like... I didn't get any of that. And, uh, you know, I knew about the Bible. I've been raised kind of the old colloquial way of saying it. I cut my teeth on the pew. I got the Holy Ghost when I was uh, uh, about uh, seven years old. And, um, I mean, I was raised in the church my whole life, but I didn't know how to read the Bible for myself. I didn't know how to get the most out of it. I didn't know how to study the Bible. So, you know, you open up the Bible and... Uh, you just read the scriptures and, and you know, just like, Lord, speak to me. You ever done that? Just going to open the verse up. And Lord, speak to me. Give me direction for my life. And Judas went out and hung himself. Ah! <laughs> no, no, there's got to be another verse. And then, they, oh, go thou and do likewise. Ah! You know, so you don't want to do that. <laughs> so... Uh, that's not, Sister Katie, probably the best way uh, to read the Word of God. So uh, I know that how, how many of you have been around the Bible a while? You're kind of, okay, you've been around preaching a while. That's okay. Uh, it's been my experience, even if you were raised in the church, there are things that you just fundamentally don't know. They've been modeled to you, maybe, and, and that's good. But you've got to kind of find them for yourself. Or maybe if you're just starting, it's okay. I think uh, what I have to say tonight will be very, very pragmatic, and it will help us uh, kind of get into the text. So let me start out with just two common sense tips. All right, so the common sense, uh, sense tip number one. If you want to uh, start uh, getting understanding for the Bible, you need to start reading it. I know, it's just easily said, but you just got to do it. You got to just start reading it. But I don't understand it, Brother Kelman. I read it, 
you guys say read the KJV, and it's like, who is this stuff, you know? And I understand, and, and you know, uh, like I, I have a couple things, like if I had somebody that was tripping over Old English, uh, Brother uh, Herb, somebody, I might start him out on something like this, the KJVER, uh, which really did what the NKJV said they were going to do. They only update the language. They even put footnotes in the, for the these and the thous to show you whether or not it was plural or singular in the original languages, which is beautiful. All right? And so I, I think that's helpful. But, you know, you, you just got to start reading. You got to start kind of chunking your way through. Uh, and then what I found when I was a young man, when I just, Sister Wolf, I made the discipline to just start. I'm just going to read. And I don't care if I don't get it. I'm just going to try to muscle through. Invariably, when I went to church, uh, Pastor uh, White, uh, my, I, I grew up with a lady pastor. Uh, her husband, Claude, was the adult Sunday uh, school teacher. He was not a preacher, but he was a teacher. And he would get up, and uh, he was a wonderful uh, man, uh, one to the Lord in G.T. Haywood's church, uh, and he never learned to read. The Lord taught him to read as he began to study his Bible. And so he would just walk through the text, and it was amazing. What, what he would cover in the Bible study, would just, it would start clicking. I was like, wow, I just read that. And all of a sudden, you know, you start seeing kind of these big picture things. You ready? But you can't get there unless you start just reading the content yourself. Okay, so even if you don't get it, at least initially, start reading. Uh, and then as you begin to listen to teaching, okay, that means go to church. Now, I'll be a little bit candid. <clears throat> uh, one of the funnest things I've ever seen done in terms of Bible study is when uh, Brother Mooney one year spent a long time uh, going through the book of 1 Corinthians. That was fabulous. I love that. And I do, Brother Lopez, appreciate the kind of structure of this class because we do thematic, and that's right, and topical. But there are tons of verse-by-verse studies that have just been taught in this particular class setting for years. And that can build a rich, kind of thick understanding of uh, how to assimilate the Bible and get the ideas of God out of this book and into your heart. Now, where have I hit my heart? You've got to know how to get it from here into here and into your brain and, and make sure you're making the right connections. And so if you will read and then get yourself to church, now I know it's Wednesday, you know, and you guys probably got papers to write and stuff to do and books to read and now i got to read 32 chapters of the Bible because Brother Kilman's going to teach this convicting thing on study of the Bible. I'm not going to do that tonight. Okay, this is what it looks like. It's very simple. Uh, if you will start reading, the teaching and the preaching at church will add depth. Okay? So common sense number two is it's not a marathon. Okay, so here, here's what I would say. If you're going to ask the question, how do I get into kind of a... Uh, into the Bible in a deep way. How many of you want to get into the Bible in kind of a deeper? Now, we're talking about initial is okay. So uh, I'm not against the bread program necessarily. I'm not against it. I think it helps kind of upload data. you got to upload data before you can start critically analyzing, right? But you got to just upload the data first. And that just means, uh, Brother Santander, sometimes you just got to walk through the Bible. And um, I'll take a risk tonight. I know there are wonderful people, and there's all sorts of wonderful books you can read, The Nautical Hour of Prayer, and I'll leave that to all Brother Lopez to sort out, all those kinds of things. But I am happy that the Lord doesn't say, thou must get up at 5 a.m.-ish and fall on your face before the Holy Word of the Lord and read it then. How many of you, but you know, how many of you are morning people? It's okay, I'm a kind of a morning person, you give me a shower and a cup of coffee, I'm going to be awake. But how many of you are not morning people, more night people, or midday, right? Okay, so, all right, now here's what I would say. Um, I don't think there's a specific time that you're required to open this book. And by the way, there are all sorts of wonderful ways to do that. One powerful way. The Bible doesn't, well, I'll behave, okay. And the Bible doesn't even uh, say that you uh, have to spend a specific amount of time in, say, so many chapters a day. I think it's way more profitable to slow down. So it's not a marathon, right? Uh, you don't need to say, I'm going to race through the Bible and see if I can read it 62 times this year. In my opinion, that's a waste of time. I think st after you get the general content, right, 
Uh, you read through it a few times. You get kind of go through the Bible in a year. If you're not familiar with the Word of God, that would be a great thing to do. Or are you ready? Uh, how many of you have ever heard of Bible is the app? Okay, uh, how many of you know that you spend a lot of time in the car? Okay, so you can steal a little bit of time uh, and, and pop open the app, Bible is, and listen to the Bible on the way to school, on the way to work, or as you're driving to different functions, and you can steal a lot of time. Uh, Brother Mooney once remarked to us uh, uh, Bible college students but way back in the Stone Age when I was there, Brother Ross, he said, you will spend three years of your life at stoplights. Take something to read. I thought, wow, that's good. I don't think I could do that. I don't think, I, but you know what I can do is I can listen to something instead of. Uh, now I'm not saying it's a waste of time to just listen to news because I listen to news and my son likes music and I tell him he's living in rebellion. I would heaps rather listen to talk radio. Don't hate on me, Sister Pedigo. But I, I would heaps rather uh, listen to like uh, preaching or teaching or bluntly just talk radio. And my son's like, "Where's the music, Dad?" I'm like. I don't know. The radio's broke. Leave me alone, you know. Uh, but you can steal time. And as you're riding to school, as it, I, I remember when I was uh, uh, in college, I, I would commute to Lake Carpet in the mornings on the days that I was working in the mornings. Sometimes I worked in the evenings. And I had a 45-minute commute. You can, you can listen to a whole lot of things in 45 minutes. And by the way, you can find some solid teaching, like maybe CTYA podcast. And how many years we have on there? I don't even know anymore. That's a lot of podcasts. So you can listen to things that will sharpen uh, kind of your approach to getting the most out of uh, reading your Bible. So here's what I would say. There's this perfectionist tendency sometimes, at least for type A's, I know, probably for some of the others. I'm going to do all or nothing. I've failed to read the Bible through in a year, and it's February. I've got to start again in January. All right, and you know if that's a content thing, or you know, you ready? Uh, if I don't do thirty-two chapters tonight, and it's you know one a.m. and I got to get up at what time did you say you get up? Uh, well, this morning was Oh, that's I'm not even cutting you any slack, brother. All right. Okay, so you ready? <laughs> I, if I don't spend, uh, you know, here's what I would say: if you can just start, just start and study. I would now. I'm gonna shock you probably. I would rather you spend uh, 20 minutes every morning on three to five verses for a week than just kind of trying to read as many chapters as you can. And you could set up different studies each day by saying, uh, I'm going to take a little, this lens this day. I'm going to read it. I'm going to try to figure out uh, uh, what it's saying. Maybe I'll write some notes in a little journal. The next day you might say, how does this, uh, in this particular maybe writing of, uh, the Apostle uh, Peter, or, or James, or Paul. How does this uh, come out of what was said before? And that's what you do on day two for 20 minutes. And then on day three, you say, how does this set up what follows? And see, see on Wednesday, you're building this wonderful understanding of kind of the flow of Scripture, catching what Paul is actually uh, trying to communicate by the Spirit to the church there. Now, I think that's way more profitable than saying, you know, i got to read 32 chapters. So, here's the principle, at least in my opinion, out of that little common sense thing. You should shoot for quality versus quantity. Because you want a thick understanding of God's Word. And so that means uh, slow down. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, slow down. Slow down. <clears throat> now, some of y'all should be like, thank you, Jesus. Because, you know, now you don't feel like you got to go home and read 22 chapters, or 30, what did I say, 32 chapters, uh, tomorrow morning before you go to work. But what you can do is spend 20 minutes sometimes, sometime tomorrow, trying to get yourself into the Bible somewhere and say, I'm going to read through this book. I, I would even rather you spend uh, maybe the rest of this year in one book of the Bible than trying to read the whole Bible through. And uh, by the way, I don't know if that should be like, well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> All right, so let me give you some uh, more tips. All right, number one, this would be the, the big thing about studying the Bible. Read for understanding. Okay? That means don't just read the Bible. How many of you just read the Bible? You know, I don't know what I just read. I know you've never done that with a textbook. Especially you, Brother Ross, one for I, I mean, it's an IBC textbook. It's 
All right, you ready? Don't do that with the Bible. You want to study the Bible. And so that means read for understanding. Now, here's some terrible ways that will get in the way of reading for understanding. Reading for, from a vested interest. What does that mean? I have a view I want to prove, and I go to the Bible, and I read it with that view in mind. Make sure that when you bump into something different into the Bible, that you change you and not the Bible. Right, so when you're trying to understand the Bible, you should you should probably be the component that changes. Okay, align yourself to the Word. Let me give you another one. Just uh, reading the text for maybe to get a deeper revelation. How about you just get the message of the Bible? Turn all that off. Uh, now, I'm not saying God can't give you revelation, can't illuminate the Word is what we mean by that, and illuminate the truth to your heart. That is true, but a lot of times people read the Bible for these deep kind of spiritual mysteries or hidden truths. They might even bump in down into allegory and find something, ooh, I never saw this before, because it's never been seen before. Okay, so you don't want to get into that type of reading. Just read the Bible. It's very, God gave us His Word in plain uh, language so that we could get at the meaning that He intent, intends. He's not trying to hide these deeper spiritual meanings from you. Okay, so guard yourself from uh, some of those things. A lot of those, uh, a lot of people try to read the Bible to out clever somebody else too. Why? Because well, ultimately, it's rooted in pride. Kind of keep yourself from that. All right. So you read to understand. I'm going to give you uh, the way to say that. You, you read for the plain meaning of the text. Okay? And, and that's, uh, that's very cert- uh, uh, straightforward. So two things will help you do that. Getting the bird's eye, that means seeing the whole uh, outline of Scripture, uh, and then walking the trail. All right, you need those two things. So uh, sometimes because of uh, life circumstances, maybe you're just starting out studying the Word of God, um, that happens here in young adults or when Brother Mooney's uh, preaching or teaching. You can see kind of that walk through the text. Uh, say we went through the book of Corinthians last or, or before that we did another book. And that will help you kind of uh, walk through the text and maybe that's your walking the trail. But I think if you get both of those in your life, uh, you'll, you'll do incredible. Okay? Alright, so uh, the second thing. What's the second item? So read for, with understanding. And then second, you've got to read the Bible as a whole. Now, you were talking about that wonderful man about baptism. What's fascinating is in those contexts, Brother uh, Lopez, I, I just watch people uh, who don't believe this is really one book. Because if he says he's one over 3,000 times in the Old Testament, it kind of means he's one in the New Testament. You've got to throw out the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, so this is not two books, it's one book. Now what that means is, as you read through the Bible, you will understand what the New Testament means in light of the Old Testament understanding, not what men invented uh, church to be all sorts of years later. We've talked about that before. I resist the urge to go uh, uh, through that again. Alright, but if you just start by the Santander... Reading in the Old Testament, getting yourself familiar, all of a sudden you're going to start recognizing things. Oh yeah, I remember that, and I remember that. And, and when it says, Behold the Lamb of God, I remember what that is. That's connected those, to those things in the Old Testament. Let me give you uh, another one, uh, another bird's eye view thing. Uh, God, uh, now, what, if you're uncomfortable with the term, that's okay. But a lot of mistakes, I'm giving you one bad example. We could talk about a ton, and if you're curious, maybe we can do it in the Q&A. You watching the time for me, Brother John? Okay, good. Alright, so here's a bad bird's eye view of Scripture. Um, It's called covenantal theology. But Brother Kilman, aren't covenants in the Bible? Yes, but that's not what they mean. They mean something else. So the biblical approach would be as if you you just approach the Bible, as one man said it, I like the way he said it, Brother Lopez, and you just start reading the Bible. You're going to say, well, God did something, Brother Herbst, with those people. And then he did something else. He showed them more and did something else with them. And then you have Moses coming along, and guess what? He did something else. And you'll start noticing what, uh, whether or not you call it that term or not, categories or dispensations that are in the Bible. Now, what does the word dispensation mean? It's very simple. It's where we get our English word economy. Or uh, you could say it's just a stewardship or an administration. Uh, the example I like to use is uh, uh, like presidencies. So there are particular crises in a uh, country that uh, uh, a certain type of leader is elected to deal with. So what uh, President 
Reagan was fighting or the challenges of his day and trying to lead and help the American people overcome was different than the context of what we're dealing with today, right? Different enemies, maybe some of the same components, right? Uh, but the principles of how to be for America is going to be the same. But this is what you say. What was the two big things Ronald Reagan as a president had to do? There was two big things. Does anybody remember? We got history people here, yes. What, what was the two big things he had to deal with? Yes? Uh, stop Russia. Yeah, the Cold War. He had to win the Cold War. The advance of communism, he had to stop communism. Okay, and he, uh, he partnered with John Paul. Pope John Paul and lots of other people, and through uh, very, very wonderful ways of, uh, of uh, isolating influence and agreements, uh, he won the Cold War. But he had to do something else, and it's, by the way, the only way he could win the Cold War. Say again? Oh, yeah, the Berlin Wall. So that, that happened under the same aegis, but there's something else he had to do for America. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Get the economy going. That's right. <laughs> All due respect to Jimmy. He broke it. <laughs> right? He had to get the American economy, economy up and running again. Make it strong. Get in a strong place because if we can compete uh, in the market and we can be strong, that's really what happened. Now, we have a whole lot of money, the arms race. Well, we could analyze that. But let's just say those two things was his job. And by the way, he succeeded. Okay, so uh, are we, well, are we still fighting Russia? Yes, actually. Uh, uh, you know, we won the Cold War right after that with the switch of administration. Uh, guess what happens? The agenda changes because there's different challenges. So think about uh, the Scripture in the same way. There are dispensations in which God started dealing with things. You had, and then uh, you had the, whatever you want to call it, innocence in the beginning. And then it unfolds into something else. You have the Noah Covenant. You have uh, the Mosaic Covenant. And then these economies start uh, having uh, different types of things, uh, principles, and managements that God requires uh, from people in those given settings. Okay? That's why you're not required to bring a goat with you tonight. To worship, right? Because that was Old Testament. Now that's been filled full or fulfilled in Christ. That sacrificial system. Okay, um, we, we could talk about that. I resist the urge to talk about that uh, too much. Okay, so but this is the big picture. You ready? You will see in Genesis three you have the fall, and then afterward, right there in Genesis three, the seed of the woman. And then the rest of Scripture, Jesus said, these are they which testify of me. So the big picture of Scripture, kind of the bird's eye view, is God redeeming the world through the work of the man Jesus, or the man that he became. Okay, and that's uh, the, the, what uh, Scroggins would call the unfolding drama of redemption. History has at the middle of it the act of one man. God robed Himself in flesh and purchased salvation uh, so that we could uh, have a new life in the Spirit, as uh, Brother Zach was uh, singing about tonight. Okay, so let's look at the bad alternative a little bit, covenant theology. Uh, they divide, but Brother Kilman, you just said covenants. Yes, but they don't mean that. They mean there's basically three covenants. The covenant of works, which they would call the Mosaic Law. Uh, and then the covenant of grace. I think they mean by that, Brother Lopez, if I read them right, uh, the new covenant, the new testament. <clears throat> and then they say the redemptive covenant. And that's where they would say that God the Father and God the Son made an agreement in eternity past that He would come down and die. And then God the Father promises, I will give you uh, uh, everyone that believes in you. Now where do they get that third covenant? They invented out of thin air. Doesn't, of course, it doesn't exist because uh, there's no trinity. Now, you could argue uh, lots of things about that, whether or not it's a uh, man Jesus. Now, does it? Uh, can, okay, I'll behave, all right. Here's what they do. They take two covenants, and then they ignore all the rest of them. And, and, and what's the problem with that? Well, there's a lot of problems with that. Let me give you the reason that you want to be able to study your Bible. Because when somebody says, Brother Lopez, I don't think baptism matters. You need to have studied this word long enough so that your life can have an influence. Now you could say, uh, I'm going to call Andrew Herbst. Or, you ready? I want a pocket Kilman app. I don't know how many times I've heard that about BC. Amen. 
And that's okay uh, to say I, I, there are people, teachers, guides that know the Word of God that I trust. God sent ministers in the church for the edification of the body. That's biblical. But you're, you should study to show yourself approved. And when you're in those situations, you need to be able to give an answer, right? So it's a question of influence. I'll tell you this, that most of the literature written today, most of the things that people read, most of the things uh, out there today are, are, and I know this is terrible because it cuts on me, uh, is uh, Trinitarians, or abundantly, Brother uh, uh, Lopez, even in more pointedly on mine, covenantal theologians. That's why people like covenantal theology, and they don't even know they're reading the Bible that way. And, uh, you know, I had a wonderful... Uh, Guy that we both know, he's a great guy. He asked me a question. Uh, can't you believe in efficacious grace and universal provenient grace? Now, what does that mean? Well, thank you for asking. Efficacious grace is irresistible grace. Calvinism believes you couldn't respond only negative, negatively. So irresistible grace, grace comes and you couldn't resist it and be lost if you wanted to, Brother Lopez. And God has to act for you because you're so fallen you can't even respond. So irresistible grace, you couldn't resist it if you wanted to. Okay, is that biblical? No. Uh, universal prevenient grace says this. God gave me the capacity for faith, the gift of faith. Each man has the measure uh, of faith. The gift, uh, Brother Cole, you have the opportunity because you have innate in you the possibility to exercise faith. But not only that, He died on the cross so that you could have the opportunity. So not only do you have the ability, now you have the opportunity, and that's what everyone in the world has. So those are two contrasting models. Now why bring that up? Now it's just one thing. As you begin to read the Bible, you're going to hear people preach and teach. You're going to read some books or some blogs. You're going to listen to things. And they may, Brother Herps, have incredible things that you love. And then it's like, holy cow. So that's why the old timers used to say, uh, read discerningly, right? Study discerningly. So if you're going to read a commentary, you need to make sure that they are not just commenting their theology into the text. I'll go one step further, even like say particular translations, Brother Lopez, if every person on the translation committee is reformed in theology, it's going to influence the translation. That's why the word dispensation is not even in their translation. I'll do respect to uh, things like uh, the NLT or the ESV. So you just have to know that yeah, there's some things we got to know kind of going in, because if they get the bird's eye picture wrong, they're going to get the details wrong. All right, and that's where we have to do some work. Okay, uh, so influence, right? <clears throat> the only voice speaking up at the meeting shouldn't be the other guy. Brother Lopez is there. You know, and sometimes it doesn't lend itself to comment. But, you know, if somebody's uh, going to ask questions, it shouldn't be just the person in the school next to you. In, in the, oh, you ready? In the lunch line or wherever the Lord should place you or on your job when somebody brings up a question. It shouldn't only be somebody representing a terrible view of Scripture speaking. That's why you want to read. So you need to read for uh, uh, the issue of influence. The second, the issue of consequence. Uh, let, me, let me point out one thing that one particular man... Is, just let me again uh, re return to Reformed theology, okay? And please don't panic. You don't have to know all this. I'm just saying, uh, if you misread the big picture of the Bible, it'll have consequences. You know, you can invent a whole baptismal system that never gets people saved. Can I get an amen? amen. Let me give you another one, one that's uh, less known. Uh, if, if I ask you, uh, one particular man does it this way to critique one wrong bird's eye view. He says, what does Richard the Lionheart, Oliver Cromwell, and Martin Luther all have in common? He says, very sim simple. Uh, each one of them had genocidal uh, practices or racist tendencies because they misread the Bible. I I'll prove it to you. Uh, Richard Lionheart, now he went over... Uh, first in Jerusalem, the first one you have to understand, he went to defend Christians' lives. That's just true. He went over there to defend their lives. But afterward, because he was a covenantal theologian and believed that he was going to take the Middle East for the crown, to put it under Christendom and force conversion. How do you think that's good? No. Okay, good. Or Oliver Cromwell. Uh, he said, you know, England, Scotland, and Ireland is the new promised land. And we're going to drive out the Canaanites. 
And who's the Canaanites? Well, it was a bunch of Irish Catholics. And he killed a whole bunch of them. How many of you think that's okay? Okay, good. Okay. All right? Uh, we could talk about all of those things. Uh, now, here's what, what you need to understand. What they did is, uh, Andrew, they didn't realize that that dispensation or that economy under Joshua or under David has switched, and now we're under a new uh, way of interacting with our world in Jesus. Okay? And because they read the Bible wrong, like covenantal theologians, uh, they believed in dominion theology and all sorts of other wild practices, they got themselves in trouble. Okay? All right, now that's just one thing. Okay, uh, let me give you another one. Uh, so, uh, Brother Mooney has often said it this way, uh, Sister Macy, I uh, love Pastor, I love the way he says things. He says, what you have to understand about the Old Testament, Paul said they were written for our uh, example, our example, uh, upon whom the ends of the earth has come. Okay, he says, uh, what they did in the flesh, we now do in the Spirit. How many of you know we still are in a battle? We're just not in a physical battle, we're in a spiritual battle. Okay, and how do you know that, Brother Kilman? Well, because Jesus said, eh, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my, my uh, followers would take up swords. So he uh, made some application in this dispensation change uh, that there's a new economy by which we operate. Now, does that mean you forget everything else in Scripture and it has nothing to do with God? No! Are we at 30 minutes? Hallelujah. Okay. What do you do? I don't know. Okay. Uh, How many of you can, you're saying, okay, if I read the Bible wrong, I can get in terrible places. That's the major point. Uh, let me, let me uh, follow up uh, with this, though. The Bible has an eternal import. What do we mean by eternal import? Well, God is interacting in history, and it's a selective telling of even Israel's history, Sister uh, Haggard. It's not all of Israel's history. It's a selective telling. So God wants to teach us certain things in there. Uh, but we don't, we don't know. People read the Bible weird, uh, Sister Troxel. They just like, Mm, here's, and they insert themselves, like you go to the Old Testament, they insert themselves right in the text instead of saying, what is the principle uh, that God is disclosing about Himself? <clears throat> so if I was, uh, you know, if I, Joel, he's going to get his driver's license pretty soon, pray for me. <laughs> he's, you know, reading through because my wife keeps about, oh, just so you know guys, they take it seriously. I'm pretty sure she has every card and every note I've ever written her. There's a few of them. Kind of crazy. No, it's not crazy. It's wonderful, actually, I guess. It makes me go, okay, I really got to work at getting good cards and notes now. It's like, she's keeping them. Somebody's going to see these one day, Brother Ross. And so, uh, if I say, uh, to, I write a note to Amy, hey, babe, let's meet for lunch. Uh, and and uh, on Wednesday, I know she likes, uh, what's the, little red, the place with the red awning over here, the little Thai place? Siam Square. Let's go to Siam Square for lunch. So Joel reads it, he's got his license, and he's, you know, maybe a senior at a CCS, and they only go to class till like 9 a.m. or something. No, I'm just kidding. 12 or whatever it is. And so he said, I'm going to go meet them for lunch. And he gets there, and we're not there. And he calls me, he's mad. Dad, why weren't you at Siam Square? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? So you wrote a note telling Mom you're going to read her, meet her at Wednesday at noon at Siam Square. I'm here, where are you? You lied. No, bud, I wrote that in uh, 2003. <laughs> okay, the same is true with the Bible. You've got to be careful just inserting yourself in there. And, and you have to understand who was he writing to and what was the writing for and when was the writing. And then as you begin to ask things like who, what, when, where, and why, you can start getting kind of into the thick meaning uh, of the Scripture. So, uh, yes. Mm. Uh, man, I have so many bad examples of this. Uh, let's do this. I, I'll... I'll I'll give you the three big points and then I'm going to stop and then ask for uh, questions or clarity. I didn't do much tonight, but I meant to do more. All right, so uh, when you say, what does the Scripture say, you need uh, basically three big ideas. The original intent. Scripture can never say what it never said. Okay? So that means some things. For instance, like uh, you can read... And by the way, how do you know what it said? You've got to look at the context and the content. That's the second thing. What does it mean in the context of the time it's written, in the place it's written? Uh, and, and then what is the content of it? What is he actually saying? 
that's where you look at the sentence and kind of figure out uh, what was going on. For instance, two bad examples. People say 1 Corinthians 11 is about a cultural custom of women wearing veils in Corinth. You can read all sorts of horrible commentaries on that. The only problem is they're just not true. How do you know, Brother Kilman? Because all the archaeology is all of the archaeology is against it. So how many of you read commentaries? I think you should. You just got to be careful not to read bad ones. Well, how do I know what a bad one is? Well, until you can kind of know what a bad one is, maybe you lean on like apostolic teachers and get a good solid foundation, and then you can uh, maybe jump into something a little bit more deep. Or, or like First uh, Corinthians thirteen, uh, Sister Driggers, do you speak in tongues? Okay, you, you speak in tongues. But doesn't 1 Corinthians tongues say, tongues shall cease when that which is perfect is come? That's true. So now that we have the Bible, we have the perfect Word of God, we no longer need that, right? <laughs> so no, right? But how many have heard that argument before? Now here's the problem. They don't know the context of the writing. Because Paul starts out in about chapter 7, and from there on, he's talking about the synerkomai. The Greek word just means our gathering together. When you get together in church, this is about the gift of tongues. It's better for somebody to get up and preach and teach than to have a whole bunch of people speaking in tongues and nobody preaching. But that has nothing to do with your private walk with God. Paul said, don't forbid to speak with tongues. He says that too in the same context. He says, by the way, I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> I thank God for it. You know, I thank God I speak tongues more than you all. Okay, so um, here's what you would say. If I'm going to get at the context, uh, what does the text say? And am I ignoring parts? And if you're ignoring parts, you just have to say, I'm misreading the text. Okay, I'll try to wrap this up. Right? Does it fit in the whole? Does it fit in the Bible? Uh, and then you read for the content, the meaning of the words. And then you need to apply the truth from the text. That's the third thing. Uh, Francis Schaeffer asked it this way. How should we then now live? When you read the Bible, you need to read and say, what does God want me to do? You should say of this text, after you get the context and what they're preaching to people or the particular type of writing, what, is, what does this say about God? And then what does it say about me? And that will help you uh, a lot. Uh, so, um, yes, I guess here's my summation. Slow down, dig deep, and then abide in the Word. Think about it. I said, don't go fast. It doesn't really benefit you. So I guess I'll do uh, uh, five minutes of Q&A. you have any questions about that? There's so much you can say about studying the Word of God. How to get into the context, a good guide. If you, you, know, you have preachers and teachers here as well as maybe a good one-volume commentary. My opinion, the best single-volume commentary on the entire Bible uh, is Explore the Book by J. Sidlow Baxter. It's a great, great guide. So if you're going to read an epistle, it'll set the context, and then it'll let you know what, the, what it's about. Once you get the big picture, bird's eye view, then walk the trail. See what each verse is about. Okay? Any questions? Okay, great question. What do you do when you uh, run into passages that seem contradictory? <clears throat> uh, it's very simple. Uh, there's a, a hermeneutic, uh, hermeneutics, how to read and interpret the Bible correctly. There's an approach that you would use that say, you let the clear speak to the unclear. Okay? And uh, by, by the way, starting out, Brother John, uh, or even after you've been down the road a while, uh, there are verses that you will say, I just don't know what that means yet. And you'll find that somebody will touch that or teach on that. Or it'll become clearer to you in your study later. Uh, but you shouldn't force a meaning in the text. I, I won't say this much. If it's a plain reading, because even Peter says, you know, uh, people read Paul and they twist him and rest the scriptures and uh, they contort it and they get to wrong things. He says, like they do the rest of scripture. You know, Paul writes things hard to be understood. That's true. Romans is a thick book. Now, if you get the paradigm right, that he's still just dealing with the Judaizers, uh, and you get the context right, I think it becomes much more uh, approachable. So, Brother Lopez said, I think we're going to go verse by verse through Romans. I would go, ooh, ooh, ooh. okay, let's go. Uh, and it would be a thick study. It would be good. But you know, even <clears throat> Peter says Paul's hard to be understood. Have you read Second Peter? 
He's talking about angels and judging them in eternity. And I'm like, you're kind of hard to be understood too. Because, you know, pot calling the kettle black. But as you begin to read, you'll get the big picture. I'll give you an instance. How many of you have been in here for some of the studies we've done on the Godhead? So when Jesus says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. How many go, hmm, difficult, right? At least initially. Unless you understand it's prayer, and he's praying as man, and he's talking about his role as man. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. has nothing to do with the eternal son because it's prayer. God doesn't pray to God. It becomes very, very easy. And then he says, uh, as you sent me, Father, so send I then. Uh, so I send them. In the same way Jesus had a divine commission uh, as a human man, you have the same divine commission. Represent God in the world and win them together. So it just becomes much more simple after a while. But you've got to get that paradigm right. Deal with objections, kind of pull out like a uh, covenantal theology or a terrible Trinitarian thinking or other false uh, bird's eye views. And once you get those out, boy, the scripture just kind of locks in place. The details become clear. Anybody else have a question? Okay, we'll just read, just start a little bit, and then uh, just start studying. Yes, uh, Sister Troxel. Well, the old timers used to say, son, read the Bible, it'll shed the light on some of those commentaries. Uh, so how do you balance commentaries and... Um, here's what I would say. Before you go to a commentary, read the Bible. Read it yourself. Uh, do it just uh, like if you're going to study, uh, pick a Bible, like a, a book of the Bible, you would say you're going to study. You're going to read the book of James. So I think you should uh, read through the book of James about three or four times. Just read through it. You're getting bird's eye view, bird's eye view, bird's eye view. Maybe even listen to it a couple times. Now I tell you the beauty of Bible is, is you will hear things different. Uh, and, and by the way, they read the epistles. So at some level, they're meant to be heard. That's why preaching and teaching is powerful. Uh, so I think listening to it read is a powerful thing. And then afterwards, you start looking at, okay, who is he writing to? That's right there in the beginning. Uh, it's it's, it's going to give you all the, especially uh, the disclosure. You may have to do a little historical analysis, which is good. Um, and I think you could pick up someone like J. Sidlow Baxter. He'd have a one... Uh, maybe one and a half page uh, entry into who James was, what he was writing to. And by the way, you need good commentaries. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, assumptions in commentaries, so you have to read them kind of discerningly. And, and by the way, uh, well, I'll leave that. Okay. It's about going to trouble rip. Okay. All right, and so I think that would help. And then you go uh, read maybe the first five pass. Uh, uh, you, you have natural headings uh, that you can kind of pick up in the text. Um, like they will break it into chapters. So outline the chapter. What's the big idea of the chapter? Just start outlining. Write down the major themes. Uh, And then you can kind of get the flow uh, of the book of James. But I think it would be way more important to study the first five verses maybe, or six, uh, in the 20 minutes of your study that day. That's That's walking the path. You're going to be there a while. You're going to look at it. You're going to think about the text. And then you might say, okay, what is that set up for what follows? And then you read the next part. It's kind of like listening to a preacher. Hopefully they're structured enough to have point to point to point to point. Thank God James was writing under the inspiration of the Holy. Uh, he didn't have to worry about what sometimes we have to worry about. Okay, good. Is that helpful? Good. Then you get the big picture and then you get the details. It's like a Christmas tree, right? Put it together, then hang the ornaments. You can put all the details on the tree. Yes, sir? What does help with like, following the Spirit and following the Word? Because, like, you know, you can follow like, maybe a specific part of Scripture, but you're not really following the Spirit. Like, I know they agree, but... Yeah. Are you talking about, like, the intent of the Scripture, live, living the Word? I, I guess you did address that, but maybe just in terms of, like, you know, well, you... Yeah, so intent is what you're after. Okay, it don't if you're saying I have to do this, forget that, man. And I think uh, Brother Zach saying I don't have to do thirty two chapters to feel like a good Christian uh, will take a lot of pressure performance off. And you say, I'm I'm gonna spend uh, just on five or six verses or whatever, I'm gonna look at this. 
I'm going to try to get a thick understanding of this. Kind of uh, helps take some of that pressure off. Grace empowers. Uh, the Greek word uh, charis is the root word for charismata. And grace empowers. So grace empowers us to say, I can take the performance aspect off my life and just walk with God in His Word today. Yes, sir. Well, here's what I would say about that. For an advanced student, that's okay. Uh, but here's the problem with that. I see lots of people make mistakes. Uh, that Greek word or that Hebrew word can mean seven things. I'm going to pick one of those things it means and make a great sermon out. Well, context is king, and that's why having a good translation. So when you pick up a, a translation of the Bible, by the way, any translation, uh, some of them are terrible, by the way, but any translation represents hundreds of hours of scholarship and work and language studies and analysis, um, and, and, and that's translation. Now, some of it's interpretation, which is what you're doing. You need the words of God to interpret. So you, that means some translations or commentaries, in my opinion, well, I'm not going to say in my opinion. They are translate. They're not translations. They're commentaries. So uh, something that's not a literal or word-for-word translation is ultimately just a commentary. It's somebody taking the words, very words of Scripture, trying to give you the thought. That's called interpreting. That's what we do. We read the Bible to try to interpret meaning. Uh, but for a translation, I think you've got enough right here. Now, it may help to do some particular analysis of like a word. And if you want to know about translations on the CTYA podcast, there's a great little podcast on there on how to evaluate it. Okay, good. Yeah. One thing that... Um... I was talking with someone the other day about Old versus New Testament, and they said that like we as apostolics pick and choose things out of the Old Testament mm. to believe. Yeah. Like one thing that they brought up was like unclean meat. Yeah. Um, like how can we or like um, you like Deuteronomy twenty two five, but why don't you put fences on your roofs, right? Or like mixed or like mixed fabrics. Yeah, that's right. Like that. Or crops growing side by side. So here's what you would say. Uh, do you know what Deuteronomy twenty two five is about? They would say. Uh, or two, not five. Do you know what Deuteronomy chapter 22 is addressing for Israel? Whoever asks you that will go, because I'm. it's the case, it's clearly the case. I would say, uh, no. Seven thinks so. And so, uh, even like someone like Constable from Dallas Theological Seminary says, the context of Deuteronomy 22, that's why you got to get the big picture, he's saying, don't do anything pagan. Uh, like they try to sacrifice goats and, uh, and, and make this, or don't see the kid in its mother's milk. So don't take a baby goat, boil it uh, in the mother's milk of the baby goat. So the thing that should be nourishing the goat is actually cooking the goat. It's such a taboo meal to eat that the gods will be excited and then, boom, they, they, your, your cattle will, because they come to see and their proximity will make your cattle like breathe like crazy. And same thing with like all sorts of other things. A cross-dressing, the, the type of fabrics they're talking about, was the ceremonial uh, robes of a Canaanite priest. Um, and by the way, Deuteronomy 22.5, it's not like cross-dressing or transgender issues. It's new. It's right there in Deuteronomy 22.5. That's what he's talking about. And so what he says is, uh, this is wrong. All of these are pagan practices. Don't do it. It's like, uh, probably shouldn't wear a, uh, a shirt with an upside-down uh, star with a circle around it, right? Well, it's a pentagram, right? Because it why? Because it, it circles evil, stars evil. No, because it's a pagan thing, right? You don't want to do anything that would be pagan or associated with that. Or like play with a Ouija board. Why? Because it's pagan, right? And there's spirits behind that kind of stuff. Don't associate with it. So we would say that today, right? So once you find that what it says to Israel speaks the same to us. Now here's the thing: Deuteronomy twenty-two five says this is not an abomination unto Israel. It's an abomination unto the Lord. So he's saying this particular thing in the context is double wrong. First of all, it's pagan dress, and and that means you shouldn't do it because the Canaanites do it, and it's a pagan practice. Second, it touches the moral nature of God. It's abomination unto the Lord. So it's double wrong. It's the only thing in that chapter, by the way, that's touched that way. And that's why when we say uh, some of those practices for Israel to keep them separate, we understand that that means we should be separate from pagan stuff. Anybody think you're okay just kind of being associated with pagan stuff? No. Every, every thinking Christian would go, no. But that's where understanding the context helps. And then understanding abominations unto Israel were for Israel and for that time. 
But abominations unto the Lord touches the moral nature of God. So we don't pick and choose. We just have a large view of Scripture. A thick understanding. Now if they have a little surface reading, then they can make fun of us. But they probably shouldn't be impressed or think well of themselves for not having a very thick view of Scripture. I'm trying to be nice, say it in a non-smart way, but I love this. All right, is that, is that helpful? I probably one more, and then we got to we got to quit. Yes, ma'am, Sister Driggers. Um, do you have a recommendation for how to most uh, make use of like journaling for prayer, reading your Bible in a beneficial way? Yeah, uh, it's very simple. It's the same, <clears throat> like they say, with teaching. Uh, the power of methodology. Um, vary it. That's it. That's my advice. Vary it. So you would do um, journal prayer one day. <clears throat> maybe do Brother Santander uh, a prayer walk another day. Uh, maybe uh, you do a the prayer wheel. How many have heard of the prayer wheel? You do the pray the word for a while. Uh, I think the way I keep prayer fresh is to keep it varied. That way my attention span is like a gnat. Uh, it, I want to be there. And, uh, you know, you get down and pray by your bed, or, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe you journal and pray. Uh, that's okay. Maybe you journal the Bible. Uh, maybe you listen to a podcast. I I'm telling you, I've listened to some podcasts, like working uh, in my devotions. I, I, If I find a teacher I really like, I'll let them walk me through the text, and I've just had, just like, boom, 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 and I just pause it. And I've, I've written down and captured thoughts, things uh, that the Lord has said to me. So, like, journaling specifically mm -hmm. um, in regards to, like, what you read in the Scripture, what you pull out of it, and then your prayer life. Do you just put everything that you think and feel yeah. about? Yeah, so when I, was a, when I was a, a young man... organize it? Well, yeah, when I was a young man, I had a wonderful Sunday school teacher told us how to journal prayer. And she gave us, like, a three or four things, three or four components. So whatever components you want to put in there are things that you've asked God, uh, things that you feel like God has said to you. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, answered prayer. And it's pretty amazing, like, going back through that journal. Uh, my brother was out of church for, like, 17 years. And uh, I uh, prayed a lot for him in that journal. When he got back in church, I was able to show him that I had been praying for him for a while. That was a lot of fun. Or are you ready just keeping, the, keeping track of all the prayers God answers? Because we just forget. And it will build your faith, I promise you that. Uh, that's the last one John come see me after because we got to quit at some point okay uh, so you ready read right just read 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 uh, but read slow uh, and then uh, you know go for deep not shallow uh, and then kind of abide uh, the psalmist said it this way uh, in his law we doth, he doth meditate the blessed man doth meditate both day and night just dwell on it what does it mean uh, you back up that verse. Mm. I don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Just think on that for a while, Lord. What does it look like in my life? Where are the temptations of the enemy to get me to walk in the counsel of the ungodly? Then you just think about that for a while. Um, how, how does that look? You, well, you get the point. Very good. Then we're going to say. Thank you, brother Cameron. Thank you, brother Cameron. Can we put our hands together.